Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,465. Today we're going to go back in time, talk a little history, a little Porsche, and talk about a famous actor by the name of James Dean. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Brooklynville, Maryland, with a very special guest by the name of Lee Raskin. Lee, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? Howdy, Mark. I sure am. And, you know, releasing the clutch is a throwback to me. I remember when my dad taught me how to drive a stick shift when I was 16, and he said, just remember, release that clutch slowly, and it'll work every time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, these days, I don't know, a lot of young kids can't drive manual cars because there's not that many left, but both my kids were taught how to drive in a 1972 911S Porsche. Uh, de definitely manual, not a sportomatic. and um, to this day, they both kind of chuckle, especially my son, and say, thank you, Dad, for doing that, and they both had manual cars as their first cars. That was kind of a mandatory thing in our household. I think it's good, you know, the kids uh, don't get distracted right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like an old shoe. You know how to do it once you've learned the correct way. <laughs> yep. Learn how to tie the shoe. So one of the things I do, Lee, as I know that you're a listener of Cars Yeah, is I ask people a little icebreaking question, and that is, share one little thing that most people don't know about Lee Raskin. Well, you know, Mark, I had to think about that. You know, I've got a lot of stories. I have actually two special stories. The first one it has to do with the beginning of motorsport in my life. I was nine years old and living in Omaha, Nebraska, and General Curtis LeMay, as you probably know, started the grassroots sports car racing with the SCCA, yep. and he was chief of the Strategic Air Command at uh, Offutt Air Force Base. We had our first sports car race at Offutt in 1953, and I told my dad I wanted to go there, and he took me. And luckily, we had VIP passes. I don't know how he got them, but I didn't realize at the time how important they were. So after the main race, they were interviewing the winning drivers. So my dad said, step up, you know, you know, get, get right up there. So they interviewed the drivers, and my dad said, I'm going to give you this ballpoint pen. Go up there and get an autograph. And I didn't know what an autograph was. So he gave <laughs> me the program. And I went up to the drivers. The, the, the winning driver was a little guy with real thick glasses from Kansas City, and they called him the Kansas City Flash. It was none other than Mastin Gregory, who was about 20 years old at the time. That's right. He wore he wore thick glasses, didn't he? He sure did. Yeah. And, and, and I was a little guy, and he wasn't much taller. But the driver who finished second was huge. I thought he was huge. And it was like what I would call a nose-to-tail finish. 
And this guy was wearing bib overalls, and he had a Texas draw. <laughs> I think I know who that guy out is. To be Carol Shelby, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Wow. They both signed the you know the program, and those were my first two motorsport autographs. And you know, today it's to the top of my list. I'll I'll never get rid of those two. Wow. Those two. Standing in front of kings. That's amazing. Well, what a fun thing, and what a wonderful memory. But to get to meet those two at the beginning. Beginning. Oh my gosh, that's wild. Lucky little kid you were. You know, Mark, I never got to meet Mastin. Mastin died at an early age. But I had the good fortune of being at Auto Books about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, Jay Leno is a frequent uh, a personality. It shows up at Auto Books on Saturday. Oh, yeah. And I was doing a book talk on, on one of my recent James Dean books. And he said, you know, Lee, I, I, you know, I really like you. I've come, I've come to Auto Books and I've heard you before. What are you doing tomorrow on Sunday? And I said, nothing. He says, well, here's a number. You call it. They'll give you instructions to my hangar. I want you to meet somebody special. Wow. Well, that somebody special was Carol Shelby. Oh, my gosh. Reunited. And I had the opportunity to talk about often. Of course, he didn't remember. It was a long time ago. But you you should have seen his eyes. Were just, they just lit up. He said, you know, those those were the first races. Those are the best times of my life. Wow. Well, in Autobooks, I had Tina Van Curren, owner of that wonderful store, as a guest here on the show a while back. So uh, we both run in some fun circles. But That's very cool. (laughs) I love it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Let me give you an introduction. I want to dive into what we're going to talk about today. Lee Raskin is an author and co-author of acclaimed motorsports biography and has been involved in motorsports for over four decades, maybe a little longer compared to that story, if you you include that story. He's best known as an early Porsche historian and authority on James Dean's brief but spectacular racing career driving Porsches. He often consults with authors, video producers, documentaries, webcasts, podcasts, interviews, and television shows regarding James Dean's motorsports activities and the mysterious disappearance of his little bastard, that Porsche 550 spotter, following his crash and his death in 1950. Five. Lee's contributed to numerous magazines, including, and all of these I subscribe to, Porsche 356 Registry, Panorama, Triple Zero Magazine, Pete Stout's Publication, Excellence, and many others. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so to give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. Are you ready to take charge of your financial future? Then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance, with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to capitalizepodcast.com slash courses, or better yet, go to the Cars Yow website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. 
For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars Yeah TV, where I went to some fabulous locations of past Cars Yeah guests, and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars Yeah YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah, and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. So, Lee, let's uh, take a little bit of a journey that brought you to the point of being so involved in writing and specifically today we're going to have some fun with James Le- Dean's life um, of course the tragic death what's really happened with that little spider and a whole lot more what brought you to this point in life to surround yourself with cars other than that first trip to the racetrack with your dad well you know Mark I mentioned the Offutt Air Force Base story when I was nine I also had uh, a friend when I was a teenager whose father owned an amusement park in Council Bluffs, Iowa called Playland Park, which also had a roundy round track called Playland Speedway. And being a friend of Jerry Slusky, I always got invited to some of the races. And at the age of 13, I was introduced to some of the Grand Am NASCAR drivers like Marvin Patch, Tiny Lund, and a very special driver by the name of Johnny Buchamp from Harlan, Iowa, whose fame comes from the 1959 Daytona 500, where briefly he was declared the winner of a race driving a Ford Thunderbird. But after a closer inspection of the tape, they gave it to Lee Petty, and Johnny Buchamp, Buchamp went from first to second and then sort of disappeared, you know, in motorsport history. Yeah, So wow. I always felt, you know, I just felt a need. I liked it. I liked the sound. I liked the smell. I, it was just really important to me. And as life has twists and turns, we moved back from Omaha to the East Coast, where my dad grew up after my mom died, and I found myself being a neighbor to the Marlboro Speedway near Washington, D.C. Wow. In the late 1950s. It's really interesting. I used to tell my father that I was going to go to the Baltimore Orioles game, get on a bus, go to the game, come home. But no, I would hitchhike to Marlboro Speedway and watch the SCCA races. And it was there that I befriended a local driver who became a national champion by the name of Bruce Jennings. And Bruce had the nickname, as you probably know, as King Carrera. Yeah. I grew up and just eventually, as I got older, I was a crew member for Bruce when he started, when he uh, moved into the IMSA circuit. And uh, we raced the GTU 911S at Sebring and Watkins Glen in mid-Ohio. 
And during the 70s, I was uh, one of one of three or four crew members. And I remember distinctly in 1978, he introduced me to a new crew member. He said, uh, you'll show him the ropes. And his name was Miles Collier. Oh, my gosh. Wow. He's been a guest here on the show, by the way. And Miles. Yeah. And so my and I didn't know who Miles Collier was. And he said, well, Miles is, lives over in Naples and he's going to come over and he's going to be a crew member for the 1978 Seaburn race. So I've known Miles for a long time since the 70s as well. Racing has been part of my um, DNA. My uh, mother's family were the Wolfson family. They had Wolfson Brother Auto Parts in Omaha. I grew up in an automobile accessory store, and I think that although I was encouraged to become a lawyer, which I did, my passion and my hobby was always motorsports. And then, you know, as you get older, you decide this can be more than a hobby. This can be an advocation, which I've turned it into and something that I enjoy. And I hope that I can participate in motorsport for, you know, for many years to come. Well, how wonderful is all this? And it just seems like all these opportunities kept presenting themselves. And I always say there is no such thing as luck. It's when you are paying attention and something comes across your bow and you take advantage of that situation. And it sounds like what you did, Lee. I want to talk more about this passion, fascination, and relationship with James Dean, because this is one of those enduring stories that just never goes away. And if you're a Porsche file like you and me, it has even more meaning because of the cars that he raced, of course, a Speedster and 550 Spider, and of course the car that he passed in. But I understand you've been a friend of the Dean family for a long time. That's true. You know, initially it was all about James Dean and the Porsches. And that started when I was 10 years old and he died suddenly in 1955. My sister was a teenager and created a shrine in her bedroom and of course i remember all the photos from the pulp fiction magazines but in particularly i remember the photos of the porsche speedster and the spider before and after the crash so that kind of stuck with me at some point during the 80s and 90s i realized that they were holding a james dean festival in his hometown of fairmont indiana and i eventually decided, well, that's where I'm going to go on September 30th. And I went there, and I guess because I had such a keen interest in James Dean and the Porsche, I found my way to the Winslow farm and met James Dean's cousin, uh, Mark Winslow, who lives in the same house that James Dean grew up in. Oh, my gosh. And I've been going back to the festival every year since. So I've been an attendee and a deaner for over 30 years. A deaner. Well, I like to ask the question about inspiration, uh, driving inspirations is what I call them, people that are mentors or influences in your life. So let's stay on course here. What do you suspect is so influential about James Dean, because when you think about where he was at in his career, it was very early in his movie career, and it, and this unfortunate accident just kind of blasted him through the stratosphere, and it, it still continues today, and it recycles itself, of course, over time. But what do you think is the inspiration behind this story? That's an excellent question, Mark. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not easily answered, but I've come to the conclusion that uh, James Dean had a true passion for speed. He owned an MGTD, but it was slow, made a lot of noise, and didn't go very fast. 
And the fact that he was in Los Angeles in the mid-50s and befriended Johnny Von Neumann, who was creating the legendary competition motors in Hollywood, James Dean and John Von Neumann hit it off pretty well. And John Von Neumann said, you know, Porsche has a new car coming out. It's called the Speedster. And they raced initially. The, one of the first two speedsters that were made came through Max Hoffman and wound up with Johnny Von Neumann. They raced at Torrey Pines, and they did pretty well. He said to James Dean, you know, you, you could do pretty well in this car. At the same time, John Von Neumann realized that he was a growing celebrity, and this would be a great promotion <laughs> no kidding. and a marketing tool for selling Porsches. Yeah. So it, as it turns out, James Dean bought the car uh, John Von Neumann asked him to wait. He said, a very special 356 is coming out. Wait a couple of months. As it turns out, it was uh, Porsche Super Speedster number 80126, the first production VIN number for 1955, and it had the new three-piece case. And these are things that I discovered years, you know, years after he died. So it's a very famous car. But James Dean immediately was racing back and forth across Mulholland Drive because he had planned to enter the Palm Springs road races in the third week in March, which he did. Not only did he enter the race, but he won the novice race by a quarter of a mile. And that basically gave him the ability or the opportunity to race in the main event. And he raced against none other than Ken Miles in his special his mg special called the flying shingle and there was another cal club driver by the name of cy yetter who had bought miles first special so he was racing against miles and yetter and he found himself in third position in this race against veterans and here he is a novice driver as it turns out ken miles Cy Yetter and James Dean were the podium finishers, but Miles was disqualified because he was using racing fuel. Uh-oh. <laughs> James Dean got bumped up to second place. Wow. And the next day, the Los Angeles Times and everybody else was on the set of, of uh, Rebel Without a Cause interviewing him next to his Porsche Speedster. So it was good publicity for Warner Brothers at the time, and it certainly was mega publicity for James Dean, who wanted to be a professional racer. Yeah, very much kind of a Steve McQueen-esque story, or Garner, or Paul Newman. I mean, all these actors that loved racing and ended up being successful in them as well. That Speedster, where is that car today? Well, <laughs> that's been, you know, on my bucket list uh, over the years. First of all, to find the missing, the MIA spider, which hasn't been seen since 1961. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that it was the speedster that we need to find. I had the faith that that car was still around. And it has quite a checkered story. Dean sold it to his best friend, Lou Bracker, who raced it in Cal Club events. And then he traded it in on a new speedster uh, in 1956, and then a Carrera speedster in 57. But the car found its way up to the Pacific Northwest to Portland, Oregon. 
And the owner decided, you know, this isn't such a great car with the weather conditions in Portland. So it uh, it became a local race car. And the owner, this was about the third owner in 1958-59, he was driving on the street one day and ran into an Armco barrier and took off the right side of the car. Mm. And he didn't have enough money to get it fixed. So he parked it in his garden in the backyard under a tarp for over 20 years. Ugh, in a rate, a wet, rainy environment. Not a good combination. Not at all. And when they took the tarp off, it, the car was in two parts. Yeah. The front half and the rear half. Ugh. To make a long story short, it was sold. And it actually was not sold domestically. It went over to the UK. And the person that bought it realized that it was really a piece of junk. And he didn't do anything with it for a decade. And he sold it to another buyer, seller type of guy in France, northern France, who bought the car for parts. And he sold it a decade later as a parts car to a person that lived in Hungary who had to carry it onto his trailer in three parts. The car is now in three parts. Oh, gosh. Ten years later, this individual who, who owned about a dozen 356s had never had a Speedster. So he had parked it in storage. And around 2000, and he bought, he's bought the car in 2012. Around 2017, his, his uh, girlfriend bought him a book called James Dean at Speed. And the author was Lee Raskin. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> and Lee Raskin at the time figured out what the VIN was and publicized 80126 and a little bit of the history that he knew at the time in the book. So this particular individual is reading the book at night. He sees the VIN number. He jumps out of bed in the dead of winter, runs to his garage barefooted with a flashlight and lo and behold, there it sits. The stamp up in the front compartment was 80126. And he said in Hungarian, My God, <laughs> I own James Dean Speedster. Wow. Okay. So that's the beginning of the story. And Lee Raskin, <laughs> Lee Raskin got involved with this and for the past five years has been writing about it. The car's been restored. It lives in Hungary. It actually showed up at the 75th anniversary tribute in. Uh, in uh, Budapest, and it's starting to get some recognition. Although it needs to be completely verified, and we're in now in attempting, we're now attempting to do this the correct way, and that's to use X-ray technology to determine whether or not the actual VIN stamps have been fooled around with, or changed, or altered. Wow. What a story. Oh, that's fascinating, which leads us to an even bigger story. And I always ask what I call as a challenge question. And if, if discovering and trying to understand where this little spider is isn't a world lifelong challenge, it seems like it has been for you in a sense. So let's talk a little bit about Little Bastard. Sure. You know, the accident is legendary. It's um, And I've written extensively about it. And being a lawyer... I've looked at it from, from many legal angles as to how it happened, who was right, who was wrong, who was breaking the law. In my mind, the accident was an unguarded moment in history. Two individuals that were racing in different directions to get somewhere fast, and neither one of them were paying attention to the speed limits or anyone else on the road. And it just was an unfortunate 
and a horrific accident that occurred. And the car, the car went back after the accident to L.A. It, the insurance company paid James Dean's father a very handsome price. The Spider back then sold for $6,800, and I think James Dean's father was paid close to $6,000 for the car. It wound up in the salvage yard in the San Fernando Valley, all auto parts. And a Cal Club driver by the name of Dr. William Eskridge, who had actually participated and raced against James Dean at uh, Palm Springs, Bakersfield, and Santa Barbara, bought the car. Bought the car for just a little over $1,000. But his purpose was not to reinvent the, the spider or to reconstruct it. He had just bought a Lotus 9 from Jay Chamberlain in, in Burbank, and it was a roller. It didn't have an engine. And Dr. Eskridge, who was a family doctor, could have easily have been a terrific engineer, a motorsport engineer. He decided to put the, the four cam engine and mount it up front in the Lotus 9 and race it. Wow. And he did. There's, there's, uh, it's well documented. And he raced, he raced hard. He was a good racer. He liked specials. Interesting stories occur in 1956 at Pomona in October at the Pomona Fairgrounds, where uh, Dr. Eskridge was racing his new uh, sports car, which he called the POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, <laughs> President of the United States. And, um, <laughs> Not unlike kind of you think about cars like the Pooper. Yeah, the Pooper, exactly. So this was the POTUS, and it was Porsche Lotus. Got it. And he raced it, and he was racing against Richie Ginther, who was driving one of John Von Neumann's 550, and they were going Balls out, nose to tail, and uh, Dr. Eskridge was leading Ginther. It got loose on some gravel, spun out, and then the car backed up and ran into Ginther. And so both of those cars were at a DNF. Neither were injured, although stories emerged that this car was cursed. Yeah, this car was yeah. cursed. The engine caused Dr. Eskridge to have this accident. He was severely injured, which was not true. But the interesting thing is during that same race, Dr. Eskridge had a friend, a surgeon by the name of Troy McHenry, a Beverly Hills surgeon, who was driving his own 550. It was a 50029. And he wasn't a great driver, but he decided that he could be a better driver if he lightened up that car. So he took a lot of the metal out and replaced it with fiberglass. And he was in a hurry to get this car ready for Pomona. And when he was reassembling the steering, he forgot to put the four nuts on the four bolts holding the steering gear together. Uh-oh. And by the third lap... He was frantically waving to his pit crew that something was wrong. And about 200 yards later, the car veered suddenly to the right and crashed into a tree. And Dr. McHenry was killed instantly. Oh, wow. Of course, the media caught attention to Eskridge's accident, you know, a lap before, and then said, James Dean's car the curse of James Dean's car uh, caused just, yeah. Roy McHenry to be killed. Right. Yeah. It just and keeps adding stories, to the story. Yeah. Mark, these stories have been perpetuated now for 69 years. I remember not too long ago, a part of that original uh, spider was sold. Was it like a, a transaxle or something like that? 
Yeah, that's right. So the transaxle was lent to Troy McHenry because Dr. Eskridge had no need for it. So uh-huh. he lent him the trailing arms, the transaxle, a few other mechanical parts. There were no parts on Troy McHenry's car that came from James Dean, although the transaxle was in his garage. Okay. So after his death, his widow sold the transaxle to um, a Cal Club driver and that transaxle floated around the West Coast, wound up with Ned McDaniel in San Francisco, and then Jim Barrington, uh, another owner racer who lived east of Berkeley, California. So when I was when I started writing about James Dean, I got contacted by Jim Barrington and sent me a photo. It showed a transaxle sitting under his front porch. Not a Porsche. <laughs> porch. <front> porch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> on two race tires, and he said, here's the number, this is James Dean's transaxle. So in my books, I make reference to that transaxle, and Jim Barrington wound up selling it to a guy named Jack Stiles, who was the parts manager at Paul Russell in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. And Jack kept it for a long time, and even advertised it once on eBay for $75,000 and had no takers. And as time goes on, He was befriended by another uh, Porsche dealer named Don Ahern. And uh, Jack and Don decided they were going to put this on Bring a Trailer. And they asked me to be the commentator to keep the story straight. As it turns out, that was in May of uh, 2021. That transaxle sold for $382,000. Wow. And now it's located in Las Vegas at the Haunted House Museum. Zach Bagan has it in his haunted house museum on display. Wow. Unfortunately, there were there were some collectors who were in the bid, who were in the hunt during that auction, but they unfortunately didn't win it. And so you can see it in Las Vegas. And of course, it's associated with the James Dean curse. So it beckons to go back to the bigger mystery, the frame, tubular frame, I guess, those old 550s in the body. Did it just go to a scrapyard, do you think? Or Well, it was headed for the scrapyard, but somehow George Barris, who was a California customizer in Hollywood, oh, yeah. he, he heard about the fact that, I call it the carcass, the carcass was going to be disposed, and a friend of his obtained it, didn't pay for it, got it for free, it was going to the dump, and George Barris decided, being the promoter that he is, he decided he was going to put it on display, which he did with some of his other Hollywood creations. And that carcass initially made, you know, made stops at local car shows in San Diego. It was at a theater in Hollywood, the Paramount Theater. It wound up going to uh, the Hot Rod shows. And then he put it on the national tour along with other cars. Now, if you were a promoter and you had an auto show, this James Dean Spider became a headliner. And so it was on display. And it was on display into the early 60s. As a child, as a teenager, I was at the Baltimore Auto Show in 1960, and I saw that car. And, of course, I knew exactly what it was. But nobody was really paying attention to it because drag racing became the king in the early 60s along with with on the change of music, you know, with the Hondells and the Beach Boys and faster, faster, faster. It wasn't it wasn't that speed kills anymore. It was going to the drag races. Yeah. So I think the music culture actually 
killed the hopes of displaying this car any further. And George Barris announced in 1961 that it had been at a safety convention, highway safety convention in Miami. It was shipped back to his, uh, he called it his plant in uh, Compton or uh, Hollywood, and it disappeared. Well, it was a good story. My investigations over the years are that George Barris disposed of the car, said it was stolen, collected the insurance, and it was never seen again. But others tell me that it was on top of his roof under a tarp for many years, and then it finally disappeared. Wow. Well, you know, and that's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Wow, what a what a fun thing. Well, you know, the books that you've written about James Dean and so forth, we'll talk about in a minute. But I want to talk about you a little bit and ask you to share maybe one story of a vehicle that you've owned that was special to you. I thought about all the vehicles that I've owned and I should have kept. We, we've all been through that nightmare. We have those woe is me stories. Believe me. <laughs> we've all been through that nightmare. There isn't a day that uh, that I don't wake up thinking about why didn't I keep my Arnold Bristol? Why didn't I keep my pre-war Morgan? Why didn't I keep my Porsche Speedster? Well, I guess I had good reasons for selling them at the time. But I have to go back to when I was 13, living in Omaha, Nebraska. I had just celebrated my bar mitzvah, and I had a lot of cash gifts, and I asked my father if I could buy a motor scooter. I wanted to buy a Cushman motor scooter. And he said, well, that's a little too big for you. You know, I was about five foot three at the time. I said, well, how about a doodle bug? And my dad didn't know what a doodle bug was. And I said, well, I'll take, I'll, I'll take you to a friend's house and, and we'll take a look at it. A doodle bug was created called a Hiawatha doodle bug. And it was created by the Bend uh, Manufacturing Company in Iowa. It was created after the war between 1946 and maybe 1948, 49. And it was a tubular frame with uh, a wheelbarrow wheels, pneumatic wheels. It had a two and a half horsepower Clinton engine, and it was driven off of a centrifugal force clutch. One speed, went about 25 miles an hour. And my father thought that I was better suited for that. So for $75, I had myself a doodle bug. <laughs> and some of my friends had doodle bugs as well. And we would drag race and we would race around a school park, you know, playground. Yeah. And that was my first vehicle that I worked on, that I improved, that I hot rodded, that I raced, and I felt attached to it. And I kept it for many, many years, uh, perhaps 20 or 30 years. And then in another weak moment, I gave it to a neighbor whose, whose son was a teenager and, and he played with it. And I think they gave it away to goodwill at some point. Yeah, It's interesting, out of curiosity, I went on eBay and they're now selling for about $1,000. Yeah, there you <laughs> <So> go. <laughs> they are collector's items. Of course, they're, you know, 70 and 80 years old. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the first vehicle. And that vehicle is part of me. And I had many bikes, many motor scooters, many motorcycles. And as it turns out, Mark, I realized when I started writing my book and looking at all the vehicles that James Dean had, his first motorized vehicle was a a Schwinn bike that uh, that had a Whizzer engine. It was named <laughs> after the football player Whizzer White. And at 13, he had a, motor, a motorized bicycle, and then he had a, a small motorcycle, a Czechoslovakian motorcycle called a Czech uh, CZ. 
And I didn't have any big triumphs like James Dean. I, I sort of stopped with Yamahas and Hondas. But I saw that my life paralleled his because at the age of 19, I convinced my father to lend me $1,500 to buy a used Porsche 356. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it. it wasn't by coincidence. It was because James Dean had a Porsche. And it's not that I felt like I had to emulate him. It's because I thought it was a cool car to have. Of and course. I was the first person, certainly in my neighborhood, to have a Porsche. And that was the beginning of, of my love and my ownership of Porsches You know, through the decades. Wonderful. I like to play car psychologist, Lee. I want to crawl into your head a little bit here. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, what would you be and why? That's an interesting question. Okay, so I I would like to be an Arnold Bristol, an Arnold Bristol Deluxe Roadster. Okay, why is that? It's an interesting story. Arnold Bristol's uh, appeared in the mid 50s, and I saw one at, off at Air Force Base racing. And the person that brought a team of these, three of these cars, they were painted in the American racing colors, white with a with a dark blue racing stripe down the middle. His name was Stanley Harold Wacky Arnold. Yep. <laughs> and he grew up in Chicago, and he uh, wound up being an importer of a lot of the British-made cars, BMC cars. And he saw that uh, Bristol was a, a fairly expensive car, almost on the Jaguar type of cost. And they had made various models, and they made a car that was numbered uh, the 404, didn't sell very well, and they had a lot of frames and uh, Bristol chassis. And um, he bought those, and he decided that he could make a very exciting sports car. So he went to Bertone. He went to the Turin Auto Show in 1953, met Bertoni, who was dying. He was uh, practically bankrupt, and he placed an order for 200 cars. Bertoni designed the Arnold Bristol Roadster, and Wacky imported it. And uh, as I recall, he would be on the inside or the back page of Sports Car Illustrated or Road and Track advertising this car. You would have thought that he was as big as General Motors, but he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He only made 142 roadsters, and they raced well. I like to say that the Arnold Bristol was faster than slow, but slower than fast, <laughs> and it was in Fury. I had the good fortune of buying an Arnold Bristol and racing it in vintage racing for over 25 years. I never had a DNF. I always finished. I started in the middle. I finished in the middle. It was a spectacular car to look at. And today, it's a very, very popular car. I sold my car. It went to Europe and was completely restored. I wish that I had it back. But the Arnold Bristol had a personality of Wacky Arnold, and I felt very close to that. And if I could be a car, I would be the Arnold Bristol, and I would be related to Wacky. <laughs> nice story. It's it's a weird coincidence because I do a weekly email campaign, and one of my uh, friends and advertisers uh, is the owner, Doug is the owner of Garage Graphics. And a few weeks ago, the Arnold Bristol Deluxe Roadster, a silver one, was on my email campaign. So 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very unique car. That makes sense to me. So you put a lot of thought into that. I appreciate it. You know, we always like to talk about books here, and obviously your books are the ones that I'm going to list on your show notes page. A few of them I'll mention here. Porsche Speedster Type 540, the quintessential sports car by, of course, our guest today, Lee Raskin. James Dean, On the Road to Salinas, another one, and A Pink Pig Porsche by Lee as well. So check those all out. Is there a new book coming out that you're working on by any chance? There is. It's just about completed. It's it's called James Dean and the 356 Speedster Love at First Sight. And it's the complete history of how Max Hoffman encouraged Dr. Portia to create the Speedster, the Type 540, how he became the importer how he befriended John von Neumann, and how the Porsche Speedster became a racing legend. And incidentally, James Dean is part of that racing legend. He was the first individual, the first Cal Club racer owner to put a, a 356 Speedster on the podium in Southern California. Nice. And I, I, I don't even think Porsche AG uh recognizes that fact but i've done a lot of research and i've determined it's james dean that really helped to market and to perpetuate uh, the porsche speedster not just the 356 but you know porsche is now into sixth generation of speedsters they just debuted the new one at the los angeles auto show in november very nice. Well, when will that book be out? When can we get our hands on a copy? Well, if it were up to me, it would have been published. But there's some speculation that maybe this car in Hungary is not 100%, which is true. It was a race car. So bumpers were discarded and tops were discarded. There are no 100% race car. No, I think it's. So 85%. I mean, that's someone who had looked at it that, you know, knows the cars, inspected it, said 85, but he was disappointed. And um, I've had uh, someone else look at the car and they said, we're going to use x-ray technology. Well, we'll tell you whether the VIN stamping is uh, correct, whether it's been altered. We can look at all the stampings all over the car and know whether the metal has the original integrity and authentic or it's not. And I want to put an end to all this speculation. You know, having been involved with James Dean, I wrote my first article in 1977. There's always speculation. There's speculation about Dean, about the Spider, about the Speedster. I really want to put an end to this. I, I want everyone, including Porsche AG, to recognize this car for what it is. It's the real deal. So before I let you go today, let's go in the ultimate drive. Being the enabler that I am, I'm going to park any car in the world in your driveway. You can take it for a drive and you can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past. So if you want to go for a ride with James Dean, I can make it happen. Well, of course, the ultimate drive would be with James Dean and it would be on September 30th, 1955. I would replace the mechanic that was driving with James Dean, Rolf Woodrick. And I would be his passenger. And as we were going down the Polonial Pass at 125 miles an hour, I would encourage James Dean to take his foot off the accelerator because there was a dangerous junction up ahead. There you go. If only, right? Wow. If only. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yes. Yeah. Well, these are the things that a few minutes or a second could change in life, but... Wow. Now that's an interesting answer to that question. Lee, you have been great fun to talk to. You and I could talk for hours and no doubt we will get together again at some point. Could you leave us some, with some parting words of inspiration or wisdom? 
other than maybe you should lift once in a while if you're driving too fast on the road? I guess, uh, you know, I've, I have a lot of parting expressions, but I'm going to stick with James Dean. In July of um, 1955, James Dean was filming Giant at the Warner Brothers in Burbank, and he was being interviewed by actor Gig Young, who was doing a PSA for the National Safety Council. And um, he, he said to Jimmy after the interview, do you have any final words, any parting words, any parting thoughts? And James Dean looked at the camera, smiled and said, take it easy driving. The life you might save might be mine. Oh, my gosh. And he kind of chuckled and gave his James Dean wave and walked away. Wow. It's ironic that he said this in July and then just, you know, several months later, he didn't pay attention to what he was recommending. Wow. Ah, goosebumps from that one. How can people keep up and follow along with you, Lee? You know, I've had the uh, the great opportunity, to, you know, to be on podcasts, to be interviewed. I'm involved in lengthy filming on all the cable channels. We're doing a full-length movie, perhaps with an artificial intelligence, James Dean, and a book. Another cable channel is thinking about a miniseries about lost and found cars. Uh, celebrity cars, celebrity cars that were been lost and found. I think that could be a great series. So it's interesting how people find me. And there, and Mark, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't wake up, I don't get an email, or I don't get a phone call or a text asking about James Dean, asking about what I'm doing, when is the new book coming out. And it's fun to be part of that. I hope that I can continue doing this, and I hope that maybe I can be a mentor for somebody that would like to continue and perpetuate the James Dean story down the road. So I'm available. I have a website. It's uh, LeeRaskin.net, and every book that I sell on eBay comes through me, and I contact the purchaser immediately. I introduce myself. I ask them if they would like to have a personal inscription, and I'm more than happy to do that because that is always meaningful to a deaner or somebody that buys the book. That I want them to know that I wrote that book for a person like them, a person that really cares about James Dean. Nice. Awesome. I'll put links to all of these on Lee's show notes page here on the Cars yeah website. Lee, thanks for uh, spending some time with me today. We could talk for hours. Until you and I do talk again, I'll see you down the road. Okay, well, Mark, I, I appreciate it. I hope to stay in touch with you and provide you with information as to what I'm doing and you know what's, uh, what's going to be presented and published in the future. I look forward to it. Awesome. Cars Yeah! is proud to support our veterans, which is why I've teamed up with our nonprofit partner, Tech Force Foundation, through its Veterans at Work Military Transition Campaign. The tech shortage is very real, and our country needs skilled, qualified techs to keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. When so many vets build their skills in maintaining and servicing vehicles when deployed, TechForce helps transition those skills to jobs as professional technicians when they come home. Learn more about TechForce Foundation and its Veterans at Work Military Transition Fund at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!